<clears throat> Philippians chapter number four. We have two more weeks in this book, and then we are officially uh, closing the book on Philippians. So we're going to read verses 14 through 19. Next week, we will wrap this up. But I want us to see uh, one more thought here this week before we conclude verses 14 through 19. This is coming out of Paul saying last week that he had learned to be content, that in any state he was content, whether he, whether he was abased or abounding, whether he was poor or rich, whether he was hungry or well-fed, he learned to be content through that, and he learned that he can do everything through Jesus who strengthens him. And now he moves right into verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have, done, uh, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel... When I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God." But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read a novel or watched a movie or something, but you get to the end of the plot and you discover a piece of information that helps you make sense of a mood or of a motive or something that was happening with this character all along. And then at the end you discover, oh, that's why that now makes sense that this is how it was happening. And really, Philippians ends like that. We've, I've let you know beforehand that when we got to certain portions of this, of this text that, well, this is a thank you note, and they had supported Paul, and they had given to him. But Paul had not said this explicitly until this point. He waits to the very end to actually tell you explicitly why he's writing this. And at its core, this is a big thank you letter to a church to say, thank you for giving to me. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for the finances that you've invested on Jesus's behalf. And this morning, we're going to see what's happening here. What, what is Paul saying here? And this is, he says right in the middle of it that he's, he's writing to them concerning giving and receiving. It's what it's about. It's about giving. And uh, this is something that we talk about, I would say, relatively consistently, maybe once a year, once every other year. We'll talk specifically on finances. But in this particular case, we're just in Philippians, and this is the next chapter and the next verse. And it's a financial passage that Paul gives to us to help us understand our relationship with money. And he first starts just by giving them compliments about their giving. And he does this all throughout the text. It's just kind of laced with these different compliments. And he starts in verse number 14. He says, ye have well done. You've done well that you did communicate with my affliction. It's a very simple compliment there. He just says, well done. Good job. I'm proud of you. What you did on my behalf was a good thing that you communicated with my affliction. Now, the word communication here means fellowship with or partnership with, that you were helping me, you partnered with me. I, Paul, am in a tough time. I'm in prison. I'm handcuffed to a Roman soldier. I have to supply for my own clothing and my own food, but I have no way to do this because I'm in prison. And you, Philippians, gave a gift that you communicated with my affliction, and you helped me. And he says very simply, well done. This is commendable. 
This is a good thing that you did this and you showed some love to me via a gift and via your finances. Then he says in verse number 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He says, for a minute there, you were my only supporters. For a little while, this was a solo act that you were the only church that was actually fellowshipping with me and giving and receiving, giving some funds to me, trying to help me along. There was a point in time where you were the only church that was trying to help me along and trying to supply my need, and I commend you for that. Uh, the letters to Corinthians give us a great window into what was happening here, especially 2 Corinthians, where Paul writes about the churches of Macedonia. Philippi is one of the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia is a region similar to maybe how we'd say western Pennsylvania or something like that. It, it's pretty much modern day Greece. And he writes in 2 Corinthians what was happening with these churches, Philippi being one of them. He's at Corinth. Corinth was his kind of last stop in Macedonia. Philippi was his first stop in Macedonia. And Corinth would not give to Paul. And they begrudged really anyone that did give to Paul. And Paul told them and kind of reprimanded them for this. And he said in 2 Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or to understand of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So through God's grace, they were able to do this. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Paul says, I want you to know about these churches that God's grace was working in them, that they had so much joy while having poverty and really no financial means, but they were still able through their joy and through God's grace to abound in liberality, that they were able to give generously despite that. Verse number three, for to their power, and I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. It, it, it almost seems like I don't know how they were actually able even to give me that much. I, I don't know how it's humanly possible that they were able to scrape up that much money and give to me because they were in a tough spot. But they did give to me, verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. You ever been there where you're trying to give somebody a gift and they're trying to resist the gift? For one reason or another, you're trying to give and there's, no, I don't, I don't need it. No, you need it more than I do. No, that sort of stuff. He said, you, they were praying me with much entreaty. They were begging me, take the present, Paul. Paul, Paul is somehow trying to resist this and say, no, keep it for yourself. I don't need it. You're in a tough spot. But they're saying, no, don't rob us of a blessing. Take our money. We want to give this to you. They prayed us with much entreaty. Take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped. So I wasn't hoping for the gift, but here's what they did. First, they gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They gave themselves up first, then they gave to us. And really that's, that's the key to probably all biblical finance is that when you first give yourself to the Lord, giving anything else is easy. When God sits on the throne of your heart and you can draw a circle around yourself and say, God, all that I am and all that I have is yours, then to give him your checkbook or your 401k or your stamp collection or your Steelers memorabilia is not difficult because he has all of you. It's when we're half-hearted and he only has part of us that we tend to struggle with, well, I don't know if I should be generous or open-handed or give to people because he doesn't have all of me. 
He says in, in a couple chapters later, 2 Corinthians 11, that when I was present with you and wanted, I was, I was chargeable to no man. I wasn't going to people trying to ask for money when I needed something for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. So Paul says there was a point, he's kind of working this backwards. There was a point when I left Macedonia, is what he says. When I left Macedonia, only one church stuck with me. That was Philippi. You kept giving to me. When I was at the end of my Macedonian journey, we know from Corinthians that there were multiple churches that were giving to him and supplying to him. And he, he kind of works this even further backwards in verse number 16 when he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Paul went to Philippi first. Thessalonica was the next stop. Thessalonica was the capital of kind of the region of Macedonia. So that city was the next stop. And he says that even there you sent once and again unto my necessity. So he's saying, when I left Macedonia, you were the only one with me. When I was at the end of Macedonia, I was in Corinth, multiple people were with me. But when I started out in Macedonia and left you straight away, you started giving to me immediately and you started giving to me repeatedly right out of the gate. And now here they are 10 years later and they're still giving and they're still blessing and they're still being generous with Paul. And you find that Paul commends them for this and says, this is a good thing that you stuck with me. This is a good thing that you're giving to me now. This is a good thing that you gave to me right away. I commend you for all of this. Then he says in verse number 18 at the very end of the verse that this is an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. He says, this is like fragrant perfume. It's a good sacrifice. This pleases God. That's a compliment. Like you can't get more complimentary than that, that this is good, well done. This pleases God. This is like a, a sweet perfume. And all of this passage is laced with commendation for this church to say, you have done a good thing. And when you put it all together, you find that the Philippians' gift to Paul was good, it was consistent, it was frequent, it was sacrificial, and it was pleasing to God. Now we have to at least ask ourselves the question that stares us in the face. Are my giving habits anywhere close to that? Do they resemble that? Could I say, like the Philippians, because this is meant to teach us and help us, could I say that my giving habits would be good, consistent, frequent, sacrificial, and pleasing to God? Do I move through life open-handed, trying to be generous to other people? Giving is a part of life. We get that on birthdays and on weddings. Yesterday we had a wedding here and there was a gift table and there were gifts stacked up and then there was a giant bird cage with a whole bunch of cards stuffed inside of there with gift cards and money and those sorts of things. And we get that we give at weddings and we give at the holidays and we give on the anniversaries and we give on, uh, on the birthdays and Christmas. We do that sort of stuff. And frankly, we don't want to imagine a world where we didn't do that stuff. We like that that's part of the fabric, just kind of of our culture or of our families, that we give to each other and that we bless each other. And, and we want to do that, but we have to ask ourselves, am I more comfortable giving or am I more comfortable receiving? Am I more comfortable give me, give me, give me, take, take, take? Or am I more comfortable dishing out, giving, being generous and blessing people? If we're not careful, the Bible is very clear that money poses a unique risk and there's some danger associated with our finances. That money can steal 
our affection. Money can hurt us if we're not careful. Paul says to Timothy that those that desire to be rich, that have this craving for riches, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So that can hurt us, but money doesn't have to be that way. Money is a blessing from the Lord. We thank the Lord that all gifts are from His hand, and it can be stewarded well, and it can be a tool that we can leverage for the gospel's sake and for the good of other people. And when it's all said and done, money is a great indicator of spiritual health. Money is a, for you to look at what you spend and what you give and how generous you are. It's a great indicator of what is happening inside of my heart. And if you go through life tight-fisted, greedily wanting to get so I can spend, get so I can spend, get so I can spend, then that's a, that's a surefire sign that there's something spiritually off in the heart or you just, you just don't get the heart of God as far as His people and how we should move through life with open hands. This is a great indicator for us to, to look and say, am I at all like the church at Philippi? And when it comes to giving, some people will stop at nothing. And I mean that in both senses. Some people will make every excuse they can on why they cannot give and they cannot be generous. And here's, here's what I have. And this is what I love about the churches of Macedonia. You see from Corinth that they were hard up. Like they were not financially thriving, but they were still giving. So some people make excuses, then other people take the approach of Philippi and stop at nothing in the sense of, I'm just going to give no matter what. I'm going to prioritize this. And Paul says, this is a commendable thing. This is well done. Good job that you held your money openly and you wanted to share that with others. You wanted to contribute to projects. You wanted to be a generous person. I've said this maybe in the, in the past two years maybe once, perhaps twice, I think maybe only once, but, but for my wife and I, we kind of have a, a very simple rubric of how we want to approach finances biblically, and it's, it's three parts. That we want our generosity to be prioritized, we want it to be percentage-based, and we want it to be progressive. Those are our three parts. We want to prioritize our, our generosity and our giving that's at the top of our budget. I could put it at the bottom. It wouldn't really matter, but for whatever reason, we just have it as the first thing listed because we want to give that first. We all know that if we wait till money's left over at the end of the month, that it's never left over at the end of the month. We're not as generous as we want to be. So we prioritize it and we put it at the top and make it a non-negotiable. There, there are some things that are flexible when it comes to giving gifts and birthdays and, and weddings and graduations. That's a bit flexible. But our, our true giving is prioritized and it's percentage-based. That's a biblical concept before the law with Abraham and Melchizedek, then in the law that is, that is good for us to take note of that in there in the Old Testament you see the tithe that's just 10%, it's percentage-based, and, and we try to base it on that. So as our income scales up or down, the percentage just stays right there with it rather than putting it just in terms of dollars, and then we try to be progressive. So we, we're, we're young Christians, grew up in Christian families, and we're taught biblical giving and to be generous from an early age. Not everyone in this room had that, had that luxury, that privilege of parents that taught you this. And, and being generous is just something that is, it's new territory for you. But we had that early on, that as, as children or as 20-somethings, as single people, before we met each other, we were both giving already. We, we were both at least giving 10% of our income away just because we wanted to. 
But then as we've got married and we've, and we've gone through life, we've tried to be progressive with that. And we've learned that if you have a family of three living on $30,000, giving 10% of your income away is very difficult and very painful. There's a big, you have to trust God for that when you're trying to live on that much money. But if you're a family of three living on $300,000, giving 10% away is not that painful. You, have a, you still have a lot of money left over, or you should. I don't know. I don't make that much money. Maybe you do, but you should have some money left over if, if you're just giving 10%. So we've tried to increase our percentage. Early on, we, we were able to take 10 and go to 11, then go to 12, and then add a, a, a decent chunk for missions in there, and then uh, add some to our building fund here at the church. We have some. It's a, it's a very small percentage, but we have a percentage of our income that we give to alms, that we set aside, and we don't give through our church. We just bless people with, and we, we have a, a Haitian girl that we support and try to give her what, what she needs in school supplies and that sort of stuff each month, and we just give away to needs that we see. But when it's all said and done, for us, I debated should I share this or not, and I will. For us, we're about 19% of our income is, is given away. And I don't say that in a braggadocious way at all, at all. I say that to say you can go through 21st century American culture and not buy into the idea that I have to be discontent and I have to have more, 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 more and, and not be generous. You don't have to buy into that. You, you can be open-handed as you go through life. Some of you would, would not be there. Some of you are beyond us. And you've grown further and you've gone faster in, in this area of, of trusting the Lord and a spiritual discipline. But the goal is just to be generous and open-handed. To, to come into situations and to move through life with the idea of how can I be a blessing and how can I give and how can I invest and what can I do? That it, Paul commends this church very thoroughly and says what you did with your finances and giving and receiving is a commendable thing. Then he gives them something very simple. He just gives them the confirmation of their giving. This is the beginning of verse 18. He says, I have all, I abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Now that's a very simple concept there. If you've ever paid a bill online, you get what he's doing. You pay your bill online and they will email you your confirmation, right? confirmation number in case you have a question, what your account balance was, how much your payment was, the last four digits of your card, what your account balance is now. You just get a confirmation email. And this is Paul's way of saying, look, I got it. I got it and I have everything that I need and I even have more than I need. I'm abounding and I'm full. So rest assured, I'm writing you this letter back. Epaphroditus got it to me. He didn't skim off the top he didn't give to me and now I'm still, I need some more. He says, no, 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 I, I get it. Confirmation, you guys just rest assured. I got your gift. It was more than enough, more than I needed. Epaphroditus who almost died, he got so sick he almost died. We saw that in chapter two, that he continued on. He delivered it to me. Here's the confirmation. I have everything that I need. I got your gift. Thank you. But beyond all of this, there's something happening inside of this text that if we miss it, we miss so much of biblical finance and that's the compensation for their giving. He says this in two different ways. First, he says in verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now he's not being trite here. Paul is, what he's saying is, it's not that I desire a gift. This is not, my letter to you is not a passive aggressive attempt to get more money. This is not me making a weak attempt at fundraising. This is not an indirect request for more help. 
This is not me saying, hey, great job given to me, so keep it coming. Just, just open up the supply line, just, just keep on shoveling it my way. He says, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm not desiring a gift. That's not my heart. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to get more from you. My heart and my goal is that you would be compensated for this. I desire fruit that would abound to your account. You say, what, what is he talking about? Paul is, is really echoing the words of Jesus from Matthew 6, and he's saying, I desire that as you give, I know that God is going to put that to your credit on a heavenly ledger and that you're laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven and that you're actually laying something aside, that there's an account that you're getting through and you're actually, when you give, you are getting something to your account from the Lord and that's what I want for you. That's what I want you to receive is what you're gaining. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 6. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. That's, that's very temporal. It fades away. It goes away. The car rusts. Somebody steals it. You didn't know you were putting in a Ponzi scheme, but it was a Ponzi scheme. That happens. We had a, a wedding yesterday, and I, I told the bride and groom, I said, today is a beautiful day. We have we have the aesthetics of decorations and flowers and, and suits that were rented and a wedding dress and it's, it's designed to be aesthetically beautiful. But if we miss what's happening underneath all of this beauty, then we miss the whole point because we're gonna go eat a cake and we're gonna take the direct decorations and throw them in the dumpster or recycle them and the suits are going back to the rental place and the dress is gonna be stored away in some little zipped up airtight thing that you'll look at once every five years, maybe. And all of that aesthetic beauty is gone. But if you get the gospel beauty underneath all of this, that this is meant to be a picture of Christ and his bride and him pursuing us and wooing us away from our idols and trying to win us to himself and us choosing him and making a commitment and now his unconditional love is given to us. If we get that beauty, then we get what this day is all about. And, in a, and this is really what Paul is saying. Get what this giving stuff is about. This isn't about me getting something. Me preaching this today really is just because it's the next verse in line with Philippians. That's the only reason why. But at, at, its, at my heart and at its core, it's not a, hey, give to the church. The church needs more. We're going to have state of the church tonight. We'll talk about finances tonight and how it went. And it's going to be a big praise Jesus session because the Lord blessed us more than we needed this last year. So that's not at all what it's about. It's about us understanding biblically that fruit is to our account. And that's what he says in the next verse. Jesus says, but don't, don't do it on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures where? In heaven. Because moth and rust doesn't corrupt there. Thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where you invest, your heart follows right along. If, if we make the state of the church announcement tonight, we're gonna talk about all this stuff, I guarantee you, if you give regularly to this ministry, you naturally thought, oh, I want to be there. I want to know what's happening. If you don't give regularly, you probably thought, eh, take it or leave it. I don't really care that much. Why? Because your heart follows your treasure. We, uh, this Friday, we went to a, a Pirates game as, a, as a, a staff, a church staff. And I like the Pirates, go Bucks. You know, I'm, I'm glad that they could possibly make the playoffs, maybe, I try to keep a, a rough pulse on what they're doing, but I haven't checked a pirate score, but maybe 
two or three times the whole year to find out how that specific game went. But we had bought tickets. Of course, there was rain delay and it was crazy, you know, with, with the game that night. But we left the city before the game was over. And the next morning, Saturday morning, I had this thought, I want to see who won the Pirates game. Now, why didn't I the day before that or the day before that or the week before that want to know what the pirate score was? I wanted to know because there was a little bit of investment in that game with the ticket. So suddenly my heart automatically cared a little bit more about what the score was. And they lost, you know, one to zero. It was a boring game, but I cared. Why? Because there was a little bit of investment there, right? Right now, if you've been following the news at all, in India, there's massive flooding happening especially in the region of Kerala, where we actually have several missionaries. We have Shaju and Shabu Simon, who are brothers, who are running a, a really big ministry there in India with, with a lot of moving parts, and we have a pretty heavy investment there. Maybe a, a few of you have been over there. Uh, Pastor and Kathy Smith have, have led several trips over to India, but this week we emailed them and said, hey, what's happening? Are you using your campus to host people as relief aid and trying to su supply food to people? Can we help? And they emailed back, not right now, but it looks like in the next couple days we'll get approval and the government will make us an official site where we can help people. So they emailed us late last night and said, we're approved, people are coming our way, open up the supply line if you can. And Pastor Smith this morning at, I don't know, 6.30 in the morning, texted me, hey, I heard back from Shabu, uh, can we send him a couple thousand dollars? Yes, send him a couple thousand dollars, let's help him out. But you know what's going to happen in my heart because we have made as a church an investment to help them care for people that are really in a tough time right now? I'm going to be more in tune with the news. I'm, I'm going to watch and keep a closer eye on what's happening with the flooding in India because there's some treasure there. So when your treasure's there, your heart follows also. And Paul says, look, I commend you, but understand you are getting fruit to your account. You're making an investment here that's an eternal investment. And then he says in verse number 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We mentioned this last week with Philippians 4.13. I'll say it again this week with this verse. You cannot wrench this verse away from its context and just begin to run with it and apply it to whatever you want. You have to understand this in light of the whole. He's saying, you are giving and you are being generous and you're going to find that in so doing, God is going to supply your needs as well. It's a law of sowing and reaping. This is given, it shall be given unto you that your obedience and your generosity is going to bring God's reward. You can't go through life stingy and greedy and then run to Philippians 4.19 and say, God, you owe me. That's not how it works. He doesn't owe you if you give to him anyway. You can see that in Romans, but that this isn't how it works. This is if you give, then naturally you're going to be given to, and he'll supply your need in light of what you're doing and how generous you are. He's saying you Philippians are the supply line, so you're going to find that God's going to continue to supply you. And I have found this to be true personally and corporately. On a personal level, before I was ever a pastor, I found this principle to be true, that I'm generous, God is generous back to me. I found this to be true corporately. This is why really the, about the only time we talk about finances other than just updating you what happened, but the only time that we kind of really encourage you deeply to give is missions conference. We do it every October, and we encourage you to really consider giving to missions, and our missions program is not money that we take and we use, it's all, we give it away. 
100% of it. We give it away. And we encourage you there. Why? Because I get and we get that even corporately, when you're on the give as a church and you're wanting to bless people and you're wanting to say, hey, you're a guest today, go by the guest center and grab a gift bag, there's probably not, I don't know, $12, $13 worth of stuff in that gift bag. It's not uber expensive, but we want to bless and we want to give and we want to support people in, in India and give them a couple thousand dollars. We want to have missionaries that we're giving to. And this year it'll be, I forget the exact number, $240,000, $250,000 that over the past 12 months we have just given away. And so let us bless the Tri-Life Baby Center in Lower Burrow and let us bless this missionary and let us bless this project and let us be open-handed as a church. We don't do it out of a selfish motive. We do it out of love for Jesus and understanding we want the gospel to go forward. But it doesn't hurt that Philippians 4.19 is there. That God supplies and he gives. And you know what? We've given more to missions than we have, I think, this year ever than in our history. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think ever. And we've had a great financial year, even personally. And I believe that those two coincide. They go hand in hand. When you give, God supplies. And Paul says, understand the reward of what's happening here. You give to other people and this comes to you. And I, I'll take just a time out for a moment and just commend you as a church for getting this. I don't know that every single person in the entire church gets it, but I think as a whole, we get this. I love that as a pastor, we'll get to missions conference. We'll have six or seven missionary families with us. People that are saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus and the gospel to go take it around the world. And they, in my eyes, they're heroes. They're not super Christians. They're not, they're not any, any better off spiritually than you are. You can do that too. But they're heroes for, for surrendering to the call and doing it. And we'll say, I'll probably say seven or eight sentences total over the course of three or four days, that let's take up an offering on Sunday and let's just take that offering and divide it amongst the missionaries and bless them. And I will have to do very little as a pastor. I just have to say, we're gonna do an offering. That's it. I don't have to pitch you. I don't have to sell you. I just say that in dollars $30,000 will come in for our missionaries that we'll divide between them and just bless them with. So I commend you for that. My wife and I are a part of that, but we're a very small part of that, a very small part of that. So I, I tell you what Paul told the Philippians, well done, it's a good thing, thank you, this is awesome, but understand what's happening when we're generous. As a church, as a family, your family unit, as an individual, that God supplies all of our needs. This is what Hudson Taylor said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not, it will not lack for God's supply. And the supply of God is unlimited. If you want a supplier, God's the best. The psalmist tells us that in Psalm 50. He puts it in the, in the lingo of that day and age. But he says, is, is God looking for your, for your oxen? Is God needing your goats? Is God needing all your, uh, all your cattle and all your livestock? No, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The psalmist says, everything that's in the earth and the fullness of it's the Lord's. It's all his. So he doesn't lack anything. He can give anything that he needs. He will supply their needs. You say, Pastor, when he says their needs, what does that mean? Does that mean material or, materially or spiritually or what does that mean? Yes. D, all of the above. I think the context demands that we read this in a material way because that's what he's talking about. But I think the language demands when he says all of your needs, I think the language demands that we press beyond the materialistic and even go into the spiritual. But this is saying God is going to give you 
what you need. Now, to be clear, he is not promising you comfort. So you can take this verse too far, and many have. Read, read a book written by a, a health, wealth, and prosperity guy, and you'll get something to the tune of, well, Philippians 4.19 promises me that it's according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Jesus has all the riches in the world, so God promises me a life of luxury, and I'm guaranteed that I will drive a Mercedes, and I will have 400 channels, and I will sleep in my sleep number bed. And that's not what it's saying. You may have a look story. You may get some sort of news or something come your way this week, tomorrow, that you don't want. We've had a couple of those in our church this week. They got diagnosis and got, got some news that they particularly didn't want to hear and, and are probably trying to wrap their head around it all. So God, doesn't, God does not promise you comfort. Now, you'll probably have comfort. Just open your eyes right now. You are in a really big temperature-controlled room. That historically is abnormal. You're in a really comfy, cushy little chair that's two inches wider than most chairs are so that we can make sure you're comfortable and you have enough room. So you have comfort right now. We've said this. If you, if you have a pet that you feed with no intention of eating it one day, you're very comfortable. You got money. If you take your phone that's working just fine and give it to the Verizon agent with more money so you can get another phone that's working just fine, you're comfortable. So odds are you probably will be comfortable, honestly, but God's not promising you that. My wife's favorite book is Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Diebler Rose. I discovered this early on in our dating relationship. That's Darlene Diebler Rose there. And I wanted to know what her favorite book was because I wanted to know how her brain worked. I wanted to know what made, what made her tick and what she enjoyed. So she told me very early on, maybe a week or so into us kind of starting to talk and develop a relationship. So I ordered the book and I began to read it. And I've probably read it two or three times. I'm sure my wife's read it more than I have. But it's a story of this lady who got married and surrendered to the mission field. And her and her husband in, uh, in the 1940s went to Indonesia to be missionaries. And World War II broke out, and very quickly, her and her husband found themselves in prisoner of war camps, Japanese prison camps. Her husband in one, she in another, her husband died in his camp. And she writes about her experience and what happened to her in that camp. I have a couple just pieces of this book in your notes today. She starts her book, and she says, I, I began to write the story of my experiences for my sons. I wish them to know if ever difficult circumstances come in their lives that their mother's God is still alive and very well and his arm has never lost its ancient power. She says in the middle of the book when she gets into the midst of, of how starved she is, that she is just being emaciated and just has been whittled down to nothing and being tortured and her friends that she's there are going insane literally and being broken down and she, she writes and says this, I was to discover however that when I took my eyes off of the circumstances that were overwhelming me over which I had no control and I looked up, my Lord was there and deep in my heart he whispered, I'm here even when you don't see me, I'm here. Never for a moment are you out of my sight. This lady discovered that God was going to supply all her needs in Christ Jesus according to his glory, even though she was hard-pressed to eat anything in a given day. 
And so you, you, can't, you can't twist verse 19 to be this God's my gene and I get whatever, my wa- whatever I want. But he is saying that if you are generous, then you trust me, then I will give you everything that you need and I will supply whatever needs you have. And here's what it comes down to. Most people that we're surrounded by, especially unbelievers, have elevated money to a divine status and they spend their lives sacrificing many times their happiness, their health, their families, their children in an effort to get more money, in an effort to be rich. And they end up paying homage to to money rather than to God and they become workaholics husbands and wives who are busy trying to earn enough money so I can pay off the expensive mortgage and the, the two expensive car loans that we didn't need to get in the first place and the, and, and the student loans and everything else and to get enough money so that people think that we have money. And a lot of people just fall in that pit of trying to get and get and get and elevate money up to the status of God. And if you're not careful, even as a Christian, money can get the upper hand on you. And it can begin to hurt you and subtly tempt you to prioritize it over your family or over the Lord himself. And we have to, we have to guard ourselves against that. And at its core, this passage is, is designed to show us the antidote. So how do I do that? I got marketing machines screaming at me. I got everyone around me trying to tell me I need to keep up. And I, even my own heart, I'm feeling these internal urges that I need to make more, have this. How do I do this? Well, you see it in Paul and the Philippians. Paul is content, but he's not content in their gift. He's content in Jesus. It's not about the gift. He told us that. It's not about the money. It's about Jesus. You find that the Philippians are willing to give. And if you can, if you can have that pressed into your heart, you'll have everything that you need. To know that I can be content with my station in life, and it's not because of what I have around me, it's because I'm content in Jesus, and to move through life with an open hand, being generous, you'll have everything that you need to war against what money wants to do to your heart. And you can use it as a tool for the gospel. You can use it in a positive way. You can use it to bless other people, and you can find what Paul had found and what the Philippians found, that if I abase or abound, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be content, and I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to try to bless people because that's commendable, that is something that is good, and it's something that the Lord blesses and honors eternally and even temporally while I'm here on this earth. And why would you not want that? I, I don't want you to get this for me or for our church. I do in a roundabout way for our church, but really at its core, I want it for you. I want you to discover that when you do it God's way, it works, and it's good for you. It's good for your heart.